Welcome to the Successful Rental Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Silverman. Together, we will dive into and dissect the rental property and talk about the dirty work of real estate, property management. We are going to explore the nuts and bolts that turn a vacant property into a cash-flowing asset, creating long-term wealth. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. In the last episode, I talked about the importance of tenants. And now we're going to jump into how do you screen the tenants. I mentioned it last time. We're really just going to go through my ebook, uh, the seven, the seven, oh, what, oh man, it's been a long day, forgetting things already. Seven proven steps to selecting a quality tenant. Um, we're going to go, we're going to go through that. This is going to end up being more than one episode, most likely two. I'm going to try to keep this to around 30 minutes. I know listening to me ramble is not what people want to do all day. So I'm going to try to keep it to 30 minutes or less, 25, 30 minutes where we get to a nice stopping point. Then we'll move on. And then move it on to the finish of the next episode. So before we get into screening tenants, there's a there's a important piece of tenant selection I haven't talked about yet, and that is you, the property owner, and your financial viability. And so what do I mean by your financial viability? And basically, like how liquid are you for this property? Like, are you hurting for cash and have to place someone quickly? Or are you okay with a, when I say okay, I mean financially okay. None of us want a month of vacancy, but are you financially okay with a reserves to pay for a month of vacancy if that's what it takes to find that quality tenant? Because if you are just trying to, like if you're financially hurting and you just need to get a tenant in there as soon as possible, you're going to settle on someone who might not meet your standards. I should know. I speak from experience. Back when summer 2008 hit in 2009, we took any tenant because financially, me and my business partner, we were crushed. And so we we needed someone paying rent. And so we didn't screen as well as we should have because we wanted someone in there. And so you see, and and well, and then so by just putting anyone in there, we're punting problems down the road. So we had higher eviction rates than we should have. Um, we had more tenants skipping out on rent because we were just putting anyone in there as quick as possible. And once we were able to get to where we could screen tenants better, or let me, that was my duty with screening tenants. So when I got better at screening tenants and we had more financial viability, we were able to be more selective and take a little bit more time. And magically, our financials on the rental property started improving as well. All of our properties started producing better. And so... The more financial viable your property is, how much cash you got in the bank. I'm not saying tens of thousands of dollars, but you have two, three thousand sitting there, maybe five thousand, you know, a few, a few months worth of mortgage payments sitting there. It gives you a lot more confidence to take your time and select a quality tenant rather than putting in the first person who applies because you want the first qualified applicant, not the first applicant. And that's what we're looking for is that first um, qualified applicant. So the it, it is from experience has told me the the less financial viable you are, the higher likelihood you are to get that bad tenant because you're not going to take the time to screen as well as you should. So your financial viability is vital in the tenant selection process. And if you're behind the eight ball and you, you need that tenant in there now and you really don't have the viability, financial viability to wait. You got to figure it out because you're just going to be punting that problem down the road 
you need to build a reserve fund, and then you also need to have a replacement fund. You can combine them into one. Your reserve fund is, you know, or when the property is vacant and any other miscellaneous things that pop up, your replacement fund is typically considered, you know, replacing the refrigerator, replacing the HVAC unit. I lump it all together for single family and just put it as a reserve fund. Um, typically, you see a separate reserve fund and a replacement fund in multifamily, even small multifamilies. So for single family, it's not really something you need. Just lump it all into a reserve fund. Um, so your, your your financial liability is vital. And when you're behind that eight ball, I have empathy for you. I've been there. It sucks. Um, just got to figure out a way to get through it, plow through it. Um, as soon as you do get a tenant in there, put all of your money, extra money into the reserve fund so you can build it to where you need to. Um and go from there. That's what you got to do. So, all right, let's start talking about the seven steps. I, as a as a recap, let me run through the seven steps quickly, and then we'll start with step one. So, those seven steps: pre-screen your applicant. Two, physically show the property. Three, have a rental application. Four charge an application fee, five, conduct your credit and background checks, six, stick to your criteria, seven, charge a full month's security deposit. Now, in order to pre-screen your tenants, you need to know what your criteria are. <laughs> so, although stick to your criteria is item six on that list, you need to have your criteria already written out. So some of the things that you're going to want to look for when you pre-screen a tenant, um, let me, let me rephrase that. The best way to decline a prospective bad tenant is to let them decline themselves. And so anytime you decline someone, there's additional work you need to do. And the way people, decline themselves are they read your criteria and go, oh, I do not meet that criteria, so I'm not going to apply. And so that makes that that's the easy declination you'll ever have because you didn't have to do it. They they self-selected that they didn't qualify. Now, I'm not saying you should have such ridiculously high standards that everyone does that. You no, know, you don't want that. Um, but it's what gets rid of the tire kickers. Because I I once had a person who called and they wanted to see the house. And off the top of my head, I don't remember what was it. Either they didn't have enough income or their moving time frame didn't work. So whatever it was just instantly disqualified them from applying. If they applied, I would have declined them instantly. There's no need. And they said, well, I want to see the house anyhow. And I said, well, no, I'm not going to show the house to you. And they said, well, isn't it your job to show rental properties? And as quickly as can be, my instant answer was no. My job is to fill rental properties, not show them. And that's something you have to remember. You as a landlord, you as a property owner, and if you're a property manager watching this, you as a property manager, your job is not to show the property. Your job is to fill it with a qualified tenant. That's a big difference. So many people in real estate talk about it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. Just show, show, show until someone bites and applies and you approve them. 
I agree it's a numbers game. But time is a diminishing asset. You don't want to waste it on tire kickers or people you know who aren't going to be qualified, and that's why you pre-screen. And so the way my numbers work is so when I look at advertising to a tenant, we start off with a real high number. The number of tenants who view either the listing on Zillow, Zumper, other listing websites, and then how many make it to my company's website. You might not have a website, and so you would skip this number. Um, and so how many view it on the website? And then how many people call or email? And then from there, how many request is showing? And then from there, how many are actually meet our bare minimum? pre-screening criteria, then we show, and then how many apply from there and are approved. And so for me, it's not that top number is not how many people are seeing the property in person. That's the wrong number to analyze. The number you should be looking at is how many people are inquiring about the property. That's number one. That's the number you care about because then the more people that inquire, the more likelihood you are to get an application not the number of people that see it. So start at that top number. How many people are inquiring either via email or via phone or whatever other method they inquire? That's the number you're looking for. And once that, that's in your advertising, that's when you need to gauge it. And from there, you do your pre-screening. So my company, I set it up so that way the pre-screening things we ask for, name, phone number, email address, because I need to know who I'm contacting. Plain and simple. From there, I ask, what is your estimated credit score? Because my company, we have, uh, for standard credit score, our standard credit score is 560. Why 560? Because that's what TransUnion Smart Move told me. Not them specifically, but what I read on their website. They do all their little algorithms and all that kind of stuff, and they determine 560 via their Smart Move. This is only for TransUnion Smart Move, which is what we use. 560s, their pass or fail. And I figure they're a massive company and they've screened <laughs> millions of more people than I have in my lifetime and or, or that I ever will. So I'm going to go with their recommendation um, because they're smart and their number is geared towards a renter's likelihood to default on rent. And so that's why they went with 560. So it's not the credit score you're going to get when you go pull your credit because, you know, a bank's going to pull your credit for a different reason. So that's why my company said it at 560. For us, it's not a deal breaker if the credit score is 520. And so then we can, if the credit history passes, we do additional security deposit. So what happens is, so someone says our credit score is 600. I'm cool. I don't even mention it from there on out until they apply. If they say their credit score is 520, I say, okay, your credit score is beneath 560, which is our threshold for no additional security deposit. But if your credit score comes in at 520 and you're approved, we would require additional security deposit in the form of last month's rent. And so, because what we do is I actually look at the credit history more than the credit score because your credit scores are trailing seven years. And I really only care about the last year or two, specifically the last year, are they making payments on time? And that's way too in-depth for a pre-screening discussion. Um to decide whether I'm going to show them, I do that when we screen the application, I mean, when we process the application. So, but I tell them, you know, we focus on rental history. I mean, uh, recent credit history more than your credit score, but 
With a credit score below 560, we would do additional security deposit in the form of last month's rent. Is that fine with you? Would you be willing to submit that? And if they say yes, then we'll show it to them. If they say no, then we don't show it. And then we, 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 we pass on that prospective tenant. The reason being is you want to stop. So there's a business management book. Um, I forget it off the top of my head. The guy who wrote it, super smart guy. I see, I can see his, the book cover. I think it's high output management or something like that. But he talked about finding in your system the earliest possible point where there's a flaw that, that prevents more stuff down the road. I'm, I'm horribly paraphrasing here. But basically, find where the flaw occurs earliest in the process, and you stop it, correct it there, because the, the farther along it gets, the more time suck you have, the more time that is wasting, the more money that it costs you, the farther line down it gets. And so that's why I want to know what their credit score is on the front end, so that way... I'm not driving to the property and showing it to them. I'm not trying to process their application. Even though we charge an application fee, that just recoups some of the cost. If you look factor in time, we're losing money on rental applications. So I, applications aren't a profit center for us. I don't want to process a bunch of applications. I really want to save time and, and, and make money and fill that property. And so by identifying credit score early, we're able to save time. Now, what if they lie? Aaron, they lie. So they told me their credit score was 700. And then we ran their application and came in at 500. Well, then you decline them. They lied. Like, that's pretty simple. I mean, some people are going to lie. Yes, some people are going to stretch your truth. Some people tell you they have a 575 credit score and it came in at 500. That's a fluctuation in credit scores. That just sometimes happens. And that's why I focus on the credit history. And But that's up to you. That you've got to decide what credit score do you want as a pass mark on your rental application. Um, or in your rental application, is it a gradient? You know, you get four points if it's 750 and above. You get three points if it's 650 and above. You know, that kind of grading system. So you need to decide that now before you start pre-screening. What are your approval requirements? So that's the one thing we ask, credit score. The second I ask is, what is your monthly income? Because we look for three times a monthly rent. It's um, it's not a hard and fast rule for us, but it's pretty pretty darn close. If someone has a higher credit score, then we can go with two point seven five times the the rent. If they have a low credit score, then they need to have three times a monthly rent. We're, we're a little bit more rigid. Excuse me. So we look at it as a. Um, um, whole picture. We don't have a pass fail like this passage. We look at the whole thing. And so, higher the credit score, the more wiggle room on the three times a monthly rent. Lower the credit score, it's rigid. You gotta have it. No ends or buts about it. Uh, the third thing we ask do you have pets? I'm completely pet friendly. All the properties my company manages are pet friendly, but we're not a farm. So, I ask, how many do you have pets? Yes or no? If yes, how many and what kind? So if they're like, we have 10 fish tanks. Sorry, this is not an aquarium. We got four dogs, not in a, not a farmhouse, can't come in, can't rent. Um, so we're, we're, we're stopping that. Our limit's two pets. And depending on the pet, we might make an exception to three, depending on the pets. But two normal, three maybe, four never. 
um, because we're not running a farm. Um, just like you can't have too many people living in a single family home and based on size and bedrooms, can't have eight people in a two bedroom house. Can't have a lot of pets in a house either because it, the additional damage will do damage to the property. Um, now when I say occupancy laws, check your local and state ordinances. They're the ones that are going to govern that. Pretty much all states have a, I mean, all local municipalities have a definition of single family and in what that what goes into a single family and they'll define that um, and it varies by municipality here in the Charleston area we've got 10 12 different municipalities and they all have a different definition of what makes up a family not from a HUD related standpoint but from a statute standpoint there's one family one single family home um, the residents and pretty much every every one says that so that's why I ask how many pets it seeming like you can't have I digress. Moving on. So we ask about pets and I ask him, when are you looking to move? Because if we're looking for someone to move April 3rd in May, <coughs> excuse me. If we're looking for someone to move in May 1 because the previous tenants are there until April 30th and they want to move April 1, that's not going to work. We're not going to show them the house. So I tell them, hey, you know, the house is occupied until April 30th. So we're not going to be able to accommodate that moving date. And so we don't. We don't want to show because it means no, they're not going to apply. Now, if they're looking to move July 1st, we still don't show because we don't want the house to sit there vacant for two months while someone comes to move in. We want someone to move in a week or two to that date, if possible. Push comes to shove. Yeah, we'll go four dates. I mean, uh, a month out. But that's why we ask. Um, so that way we can pre-screen them there. And so those are the four things my company asks. Now, you might be anti-pets. And you might say no pets. And so that's even a bigger reason why to do pre-screening on pets. Even though you have a no pet policy, doesn't mean you're going to keep all animals out. Remember, service animals and emotional support animals are governed by federal law. So make sure you follow all federal, state, and local statutes when it comes to those animals. Um, pre-screening. I mean, I, there, there's, it's, it's vital. I make Every prospective applicant answer those four questions. And if they refuse to answer them, I don't schedule a showing. Uh, we do a lot of Facebook group postings. People all the time are like, hey, can I just see this house? Can I see it tomorrow too? Every time I say, sure, but you got to submit the form on our website. If someone calls, I ask them those four questions. And if someone refuses to answer them because they're like, hey, I don't feel like disclosing this information, they say, well, then you can't rent the house. As simple as that. I mean, we're not asking for any pertinent information here. And I mean, this is, you're the one coming wanting to see the house. I don't want to waste their time. And that's what I tell people up front is we, if you don't meet the basic pre-screening criteria, we don't want you to waste your time. I don't spin it and tell them it's me because no one cares about my time. They should care about their time. And so that's why I tell them, well, you know, if your credit score and income don't meet what we're looking for, we want to let you know now so that way you don't waste time and money. And that way you can move on and find another place that you like. So pre-screening is vital. I, I cannot overstress pre-screening. Um, it's probably the most important step in this um, process is pre-screening. The second step is to personally show the property, uh, physically show the property. Not personally, maybe you have someone do it for you. But uh, I'm a huge, huge proponent of physically showing the property. You might be asking me, well, how else do you show it? Well, technology these days and a lot of management companies are moving towards using lockboxes. 
uh, with remote showing capabilities. The person calls up a number, give them their credit card information, and then they get the lockbox code, and they just go in the house, show it themselves, and then leave. Well, that's a big opportunity as far as screening goes. And so, and I'm not, you, you have an appointment for noon, and they show up at 1230, I wouldn't know because I'm already gone. I leave at 1210. I don't sit around and wait all day. Because if they can't make an appointment on time, how are they going to pay rent on time? How are they going to meet the HVAC technician on time? How are they going to meet the appliance repair guy on time? Which then costs you more money. I know it seems simple. I mean, if they're five minutes late, no big deal. I don't care. Um, Ten minutes late, annoying. But okay, they're there. But beyond that, now, if they call and they say, hey, we're stuck in traffic, I'm sorry, then I'll wait. But if, they, if there's no communication 10 minutes after, I'm out. And if they show up 12.15 and call, I'm like, where are you? I'm like, I was there until 12.10, left. And I don't care what their excuse is. I mean, this is 2020. Everybody has a cell phone. There's no reason they cannot call and say, I'm running late. It's part of being a functioning adult is showing up on time. And if you are going to be late, notify the person. It's as simple as that. And so that's part of our screening. I mean, it's part of our pre-screening. If you don't show up on time, we're not renting to you. Simple as that. Um, and also, you know, if, uh, yeah, I mean, so that's why I physically show the property. And then the other part is, is I am, Gathering information while we're talk while we're going through. Now I'm dispersing information, you know, about the home. I've, I've talked about it before, and I'm always going to talk about it. Even though this is the rental business, you're selling the idea of your rental property and selling the idea of them renting from you. And so the whole time we're going through the property, I'm highlighting, trying to build rapport, saying, "Hey, this is great. This is awesome. Look at this." Trying to sell the rental property to them, but I'm also gathering information. Why are they looking to move? Um, and talking about like, oh, where do you work? Great, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then when they do apply, I want to match what they said versus the paperwork. And if there's any discrepancies, I want to know why. And probably they're going to get declined if what they're telling me in person doesn't match what's on paper. Because I want those two things to mesh and make a coherent story. Now, when you have these processes set up and you follow them and you publish it, 99% of the time, those are going to match. You know, all's good in the world. But sometimes things are going to check out. Like this, um, I had a tenant a few months ago. It could have been a year ago. I don't know. Time all rushes together. They said, well, we're moving because... I don't know. The reason they were moving quickly kind of stuck with me and I was like, it just seems weird. And so when I pulled their credit report and background check, everything seemed fine, but I still had a little funny feeling. So I went and searched the county records. They were in the process of being evicted, but it was so new it hadn't hit the eviction search yet. And so I never would have known that if I didn't physically show the house. I would have approved them. Because something I would never, they never would have said that thing that set up the red flag that I said, I need to check that. And when the paperwork came in, didn't quite match with what they were saying. So I dug a little deeper. 
Whereas if I didn't physically show it, if I had just had a lockbox on the door and let them go do it at their own convenience, it would, there would have been no red flag and they would have been in there. And now they probably would have been, they, you know, if they're being evicted from one place, they're having financial problems, they're probably going to be evicted from the next place. And so I didn't want to, that's why it's so important to show the house in person is you can gather those little bits of information. Now, here's the tricky part. Professional tenants, professional tenants is a term used that I use for tenants who now have gained the system, that take advantage of landlords and um, are bad tenants. Um, professional tenants know that once they meet you in person, you're more likely to approve them. And that's why bad tenants would be like, I just want to see the house. I want to meet you. I want to tell you my story. And that's when you say, well, what's your pre-screening? you fall back on your pre-screening and ask them those questions. And you got to ask it to every person. Remember, if you start pre-screening, you ask it to every person. Every tenant has to be treated the exact same. Otherwise, you could be unintentionally or intentionally discriminating. Either which, unintentionally or intentionally, is wrong. Don't do it. And if you do, you could open yourself up to a lawsuit, and that's not going to be financially good for you. Um, just never discriminate. I'm a big proponent of that. Um, when they see you in person, they want to start building that rapport. They're tr that tenant's trying to build rapport with you. You got to know that no matter what they say or how they make you feel, you're going to rely on the screening that you will do. Because I've, on my own properties, I've never taken a chance for a client's property, but on my own properties, I have taken a chance or time or two since I've opened my management company <clears throat> and I've gotten burned every time, every time, three times I did. One was a family who suckered me on the kids. One was a disabled vet and the other one is another situation. But anyhow, all three of them have two of them worked out miserably in the one um, not so bad, but still wasn't as pleasant as I would like. It was because they got to the heartstrings. On my own rental properties, I sometimes take a little chance. I'm like, hey, let me see. Let me see. No. But on my management side, I don't take those chances. And it's much there's no headaches over there. It's great and wonderful. And so it's like when, 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 when that professional tenant can get their stories into you, it's not good. So there is that big caveat when sh personally showing. Be friendly, but don't become friends. Because remember, it's still a business transaction. And so you got to be objective when you scream. You do not want to be like, I like them. I want to give them a chance. Because if they say, well, my kids need a place to live, that's not your fault. It's not your job to provide them housing for their kids while they're going to be on the street. I know that sounds horrible to say. Your job is to find a quality tenant to live in your property who's going to pay rent. That's what is important. There are a lot of nonprofits out there that give people chances and help them. And if you want to participate in one of those, that is wonderful for you to do. But make sure you do that through the nonprofit. Don't do it through your rental property in giving tenants chances because it will end up coming to bite you in the backside. And you do not want that. So... I talked about it. This is We're going to talk about the rental applications. Step three is have a rental application. You have to have a rental application. You should already have it before this step. 
um, because you need to know what your approval criteria are, and so that way you can set your pre-screening criteria. Um, <clears throat> but the reason why it's number three is because chronologically that's how it works. You pre-screen your show, then you process, then you receive the application. So for your rental application, um, there's some things you can ask, and there's some things you can't. Um, if you don't know what you can and cannot ask, consult an attorney. An attorney can help you craft your rental application. Don't go online and say free rental application. Um, yeah, you're going to find it. Yeah, it might work for you or no, it might not. There might be some improper questions to ask. Um, back when I started in 2008, it was common to ask, are you, are you married? I would never dream of doing that nowadays because it's none of my business. If two people are married, great. If they're not married, great. I don't give a darn what their, what their status is. All I care about is that they are both applying for a place. That's all I care about. Um, so I don't ask that anymore. Um, because it's wrong. Um, things have changed over time. It's become a not thing to, right thing to do. Um, and when I did that, it was because I was uneducated. That was back when I was finding bad tenants. I didn't care if they were married or not. It was just on the rental application. Um, and so, but now that I've learned how you do it, don't do it. So the things on the rental application that I had screened for, credit history, credit score, rental history, income, employment status, criminal history, sex offender. Those are, those are the big ones for me that we look at. Now, as far as rental history, take rental history the grain of salt. Current place they're living in, if they are a bad tenant and you get the rental history, they're probably going to tell you they're wonderful and they want them to leave. <laughs> they're going to tell you they want to leave but thinking, like, I want this tenant out. So I'm not going to say anything bad. So I'm just going to sugarcoat it just so they move and get out of my property. Um, so I don't put too much stock in rental history. Um, if you want rental history to be an important piece of your screening process, then you need to look at the, pr the, the, the previous landlord. So not the current one, but the one behind before that one, because that one will give you a more honest picture. And the things I look for when I do get my rental reference, I want objective information, not subjective. Did they have a pet? Were there maintenance issues that they caused? Did they report maintenance problems on time? And did they pay the rent on time? Those are the things that I don't want to know. Were they easy to work with? Were they nice? Were they mean? None of that stuff matters because that's a lot of interpersonal relationships that I think I can, I'm good at. And so if someone is a headache, then I, well, I'll work with them and make that relationship work. Um, so you got to have that rental application because you can search all those things. Um, Let's see. Yeah, my packet goes into quite a bit on rental application. So we're going to go through it and then call it a day. So it's 31 minutes now, so we're probably going to get to 33, 34. Um, I, my company processes applications on a first-come basis. That doesn't mean whoever submits the application first are the only ones considered. There's numerous ways you can process applications. And your state law and local laws might govern it, so check those. So, but here in my state, you can kind of do whatever. You can take 10 applications if you want. You can take just one application if you want. Um, it's whatever you do. 
Now, if you take an application and you take a application fee, process that application because they paid you to do that. Otherwise, you're committing fraud. Just don't do it. Don't view application fees as an income source. It makes you a bad person. It'll come back and bite you. I promise. It will. Um, so the way my company does it, the first person or first set of applicants to provide all a completed application process packet that is approved gets the first option to rent the house. So if two people apply at the same time, two sets of applicants apply at the same time, whichever one finishes processing first gets the option to rent first. That's qualified. So we don't ever get to the point where we have two qualified applicants. Which one are we going to pick? We're going to pick Jimmy or we're going to pick Billy. We don't. We got Sally's application finished processing first and she's approved. Well, Janet's application might look better, but she was approved second. We're going with Sally because it was her packet. We don't have a, a grade of this is good quality qualified. This is great qualified. You're the qualified and you're not. <laughs> Some companies do it. We're going to pull all that in our applications together, and then we're going to grade them all, and whoever's the best gets gets the property. If that's how you want to do it, like I said, just consult with an attorney, make sure that's legal in your area, and that's what you do. For me, that presents some headaches, um, and I don't want to mess with that. And quality tenants who know they're going to be approved might pass on your property because they're like, I don't want to potentially waste an application fee. And so that's a selling feature of me to tenants. And what that also does is it creates a sense of urgency. Because remember, I'm selling the idea of renting this property. And urgency is one of those things. And so when I tell people, yeah, the first applicant who submits a completed application and is approved, they're the only ones that get the opportunity. They get first rate of refusal for renting the house. And I'll have people say, so wait, so if we take a few days to decide and then submit the application, and someone else has already applied, we don't even get considered. I say, that's right. <laughs> and I tell them, remember, always spin it to benefit the prospective tenant. They don't care about you trying to fill it as fast as possible. So my, same thing I use all the time. Applying, filling out rental applications and spending these application fees gets expensive. And I don't want anyone to waste their money. So that's why we do a first completed packet that's approved or they get first rate of refusal because I don't want people to waste money. And boom, I'm starting to build that rapport with that prospective tenant. So that way when they move in, if they move in, it's a better working relationship from the front end. We're starting off where I care about them because I do, I do genuinely care, but there's also the benefit of urgency. And I'm creating that sense of urgency, selling the idea of renting the property. The respective applicant doesn't care. So I don't want to tell them that's why I'm doing it. I want to give them the reason that benefits them. So, and the other big thing that I, reason why I like to do it is it removes all perceived discrimination. If you bring in five applicant applications and they're all approved, why did one get approved and the other four get disproved? And I, I, you can use a completely objective grading system. And like, look, see, this person had 24 points. You had 23 points. And these other three people had 20 points. So I took with the 24 points. But you can still, you open yourself up to the potential of a discrimination lawsuit because you still took one person over others. And I just don't want to deal with that headache. And that's, that's the other reason why we do first come, first completed application serve. 
because it removes that potential um, viewpoint of di um, discrimination because I don't discriminate fully against it. And so I don't want to have any policies that could be construed potentially as discriminatory or open myself up to discrimination claim. So, so that's processing the application, I mean, having a rental application. Um, so yeah, in 30 minutes, we only got through four items. One, owner viability, pre-screen, physically show the property, and then four, um, have a rental application. So, and that took 36 minutes, it's a ton of stuff. I mean, I could talk about tenant screening all day. Um, not sure if the next episode will give all that we can on, I mean, finish up the uh, tenants, tenant application process. If you want to go ahead and dive into the, the, the packet, head on over to SuccessfulRental.com and you can sign up for my newsletter and you'll we'll get that um, ebook sent directly over to you. Um, so hopefully we'll wrap all this up in the next episode, if not two, two tops. Um, but probably the next episode. Um, since we did cover four items here, we'll be able to get to the last four in the next one. So, all right. Well, I hope you found this little, in th this episode informative. If you have any questions, head on over to SuccessfulRental.com and you can sign up for the newsletter and respond to that with any questions you have. Or you can head on over to Facebook and join me there and ask questions there. All right. Hope you have a good one. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Successful Rental Podcast. I truly appreciate you taking the time to listen to my rantings and ravings on rental properties and property management. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player or jump on over to SuccessfulRental.com to connect with me.